0: So I've been told that there are some students up in the balcony who aren't quite paying attention, who are kind of being distracted. I don't believe that for a minute. I think the person that told me that is just an an old person that doesn't have any sense whatsoever. And um, don't take offense to that. You who told me that. But you are old. Not quite as old as me, but you're old. But so you proved them wrong today, okay, students? Will you do that? Raise your hand if you're going to do that, okay? you going to prove them wrong? None of you going to prove them wrong? <laughs> oh, well. Well, I'm going to allow the person who told me to unleash the Krakens on you then. they don't even know what that means. Well, if you have your Bible with you, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Luke chapter 9. For the last six weeks, we've been looking at what the Bible says about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ. Is a disciple someone who has decided to live a decent, moral, good life? Is that what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who who has decided to come to church regularly, to give some of their money to the church. Is that what a disciple is or is a disciple someone who has this intellectual belief about who Jesus is and and they followed through with that intellectual belief by being baptized is that what a disciple is and I'm afraid that in America today there are many people who have either been deceived or they have been confused when it comes to what it means to be a true follower of Jesus You see, there's a big difference between a committed disciple and a consumer Christian. We have taken the message that speaks of sacrifice and commitment, the message of Christ dying to self, giving one's all, and we've somehow turned that message into a selfish, self-centered, it's all about me message. We have produced a form of American Christianity that is in line with the American dream, but it's not in line with biblical Christianity. I'm afraid that the American church has a Burger King philosophy of what it means to be a Christian. If you've been watching Burger King commercials for a while, you will know that they used to have a commercial that that went something like this, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. And then it says, have it your way. And that's good when it comes to restaurants. It's it's good when it comes to retail. But when it comes to our faith in Christ, that's not good. Because you see, the Bible doesn't say that we can choose Christ any way we choose. We must come to Christ on our terms. Now, as you can imagine, when Jesus was here on this earth, crowds of people were following him. And why not? I mean, he healed the sick. He caused the, the blind to be able to see, the deaf to be able to hear. He called the lames to be able to walk. He even raised the dead. He fed thousands of people with a, a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He, he would deliver people from demonic bondage. He would minister to people's hearts with the words that he said. And so because of that, crowds were following him. But did you know that the crowds turned on him? In Matthew chapter 27, verse 20, it says, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Jesus and have him executed, to have him crucified. Did you get that? The same crowd that that Jesus healed, the same crowd, crowd that Jesus fed the same crowd that Jesus delivered from their bondage and their oppression that same crowd called for Jesus to be crucified so how could that be well I believe it's simple you see there is a big difference between someone who commits and someone who consumes someone who is a disciple and someone who simply calls himself Christian you need to understand that that Jesus didn't change the world with a crowd Jesus changed the world with a committed few who were willing to give their all that's why Jesus was never concerned with the size of the crowd he was concerned with the commitment of the few and that's why Jesus never cheapened his call or lowered the bar. He always called those would be disciples to give up everything to follow him. So, if your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 9, I want you to follow along as we read some passages that talk about what Jesus said it takes to follow him, to be his disciple. And I want us to begin with verse 23 of Luke 9. Listen to what it says. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Later on in that chapter, some time went by and the Bible tells us that Jesus is now heading to Jerusalem, the place that he's going to be crucified, and it says this in Luke 9, verse 57. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, the birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And finally, I want you to turn over five chapters to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. I want you to listen to what Jesus said, and it tells us that a large crowd was following him at at this time. And in verse 25, it says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, and yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin to count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if you can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Three times in this Luke 14 passage, Jesus uses that phrase, you cannot be my disciple. He says you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father and mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, and even your own life. He said, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross and follow me. He said, you cannot be my disciple unless you give up everything. One thing you have to say about Jesus is he puts no fine print in the contract. What he says he means. He lays it all on the line. He holds nothing back. He pulls no punches. Without apology, with a straight face, looking straight forward, Jesus let people know then, and he lets people know now what it takes to be a disciple, a follower of his. And in this passage, Jesus makes it clear that if I'm going to follow him and be a disciple, I must do three things. I must count the cost, I must rearrange my priorities, and I must give my all. First of all. Jesus says, if I am going to be his disciple, I must count the cost. Now, Matthew 8 is a parallel passage to Luke chapter 9. What that means is, is that both of those passages in different places speak of the same thing. And we see in Luke chapter 8, the the same conversation that Jesus had with some different people that we read about in Luke chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 8, we discover that one of these conversations was with a teacher of the law. And this teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, I will follow you anywhere. But what you need to understand is that it is easy to make bold promises when you haven't really counted the cost. So Jesus said to this religious leader, you need to understand what you're getting into. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying here? Now to this man he's saying you need to understand that if you follow me your world might be turned upside down. The things that you consider simple pleasures of life like a place to call home you may not have if you follow me. We sing songs like wherever he leads I'll go as long as He doesn't lead me to sell my house and go live in the projects among the poor. As long as he doesn't lead me to move to some God-forsaken place like Iran or Afghanistan. As long as I can still have the comforts of an indoor toilet and air conditioning or, or running water or a microwave. But you need to understand that we can't come to Jesus on our terms. We come to Jesus on his terms, and this man hadn't counted the cost. Do you remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? He said, go. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. This rich young ruler hadn't counted the cost. I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't have to change my standard of living. As long as I can use my money my way, as as long as I can do what I want with my assets, my resources. But you need to understand that Jesus sets the term. And so in Luke 14, with this large crowd following him, Jesus says, Don't start something. Unless you count the cost first. And then he gives two examples. He says, who would start a building project and not have the money to complete that building project? That would be foolish. Because you could lay the foundation. You might have the walls up. And if you don't have the money to complete it, people are going to look at that half-built building. And they're going to look at you and go, there's the man who started the project but couldn't complete it. And then he gives another example. He says, what king would would go to war against another king without knowing in advance that he can win the battle? Then Jesus says in verse 33, you can't be my disciple without giving up everything. And so I ask you, have you really counted the cost? What I can tell you this morning is it's a whole lot easier to say we will give up everything than it is to really give up everything. And what I've discovered personally is it gets harder to give up everything the more you have. Would you agree with that? For me and Sherry, it was a lot easier to give up everything when I was a 23-year-old pastor, pastoring a a little country church, and we had nothing. We were dirt poor. I mean, pretty much everything we had was a hand-me-down or a gift. Even the clothes we wore, most of them were Christmas gifts. We had nothing. And when we said, Lord, we will give up everything, we meant it. We had nothing. When we said, Lord, we will go anywhere, we meant it because we hadn't been anywhere. But then as we got older, we began to experience what can only be described as God's blessings on our life. He blessed us with kids, He blessed us with grandkids. He blessed us with the ability to to buy a home he eventually blessed us with the ability to invest in a a vacation home in the mountains he blessed us with some things we never thought we would have he blessed us with the ability to go some places that we never thought we would ever go and even though we still hold everything in open hands out to God, saying it's yours. I have to constantly ask myself, is it really yours? Am I willing at a moment's notice? Am I willing to give up everything, sell everything and follow you wherever you want me to go? Now, you may be saying, I don't have a house, much less a vacation place, so yes, I will give up everything to follow Jesus. Really? Is it that easy? Because I'm here to tell you, everybody in this room is blessed. We live in a country with conveniences and safeties That most of the world will never experience. We have educational opportunities and other opportunities that people in the world don't have. That's just a fact. I read this past week that a recent report issued January 2023, so very recent, a recent report said the poverty threshold for a family of four in America is $29,960. So if you're a family of four and you live on less than $29,960, you're living in poverty. A single person home, if you make $14,891 or less, you're living in poverty. Now, let me say to you, I would hate to have to try to live on that little bit of money. I would think you could have much more than that and still be in poverty. But did you know? That almost half the people in the world live on less than $5.50 a day. $5.50 a day. That's just a shade over $2,000 a year. And so you sit back and you say, I'll give up everything to follow Jesus. Okay. Are you willing to give up Your lifestyle, whatever it may be, start living on $5.50 a day, which is what about half the planet lives on? Are you willing to do that for the sake of the gospel? You see, it's a whole lot easier for us to talk about giving up than it is for us to really give up. You've heard me talk about Diedrich Bonhoeffer who wrote the book Cost of Discipleship. He was hung by the Nazis on April the 9th, 1945. His clothes, his writings, all of his personal effects were burned with his body after his death. He challenged in his book for us to count the cost what it really means to follow Jesus. And I've read some of this to you before. I want to remind you of what he said He said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. We are fighting for costly faith. Cheap grace means grace without price, grace without cost. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Grace without discipleship. And then he said these words, I want you to listen. He said, we have gathered like eagles around the carcass of cheap grace. And there we have drunk the poison which has killed the life of following Christ. And I'm afraid that the cheap grace that we have peddled in the churches of America today is leading hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people into a Christless eternity when they think they're saved. Many think they're going to stand before God and enter into heaven, and yet Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. You see, the Bible teaches that becoming a Christian involves surrender. It involves giving all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of Jesus. It, it, it requires us following Him in submissive obedience. The call to become a Christ follower is a call to full commitment without holding anything back deliberately or knowingly. It may be simple to become a Christ follower. But I'm here to tell you that it's never easy to walk as a Christ follower. Too many of us today are, are relying on the cross without responding to the Christ of the cross. And we need to understand that we can't have the cross and its covering without the Christ as our master. So we have to count the cost. The second thing Jesus said in this passage is this. He said, we need to rearrange our priorities. I want you to listen again to to what he said in Luke 9, 59. It says, Jesus said to another would-be follower, come follow me. And the person said, I will, but first let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, I think that's pretty harsh. I mean, this man sitting there going, hey, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father first, and then I'll follow you. But what you need to understand is most likely this man's father wasn't dead yet. You see, in the Middle East, the eldest son had an obligation to care for his parents until their death. And what he was saying is, I've got an obligation to my parents. Let me fulfill this obligation, and then I will follow you anywhere. But Jesus didn't let him off the hook. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You see, the problem with this this man is he had divided loyalties, and his loyalties may have been good, but he had divided loyalties. When he felt God's call in his life, he looked at his situation, and he realized he had other responsibilities. He had other things that he needed to take care of. And he said to Jesus, once I take care of these things, and I have fulfilled my responsibilities here, I'll follow you anywhere. But Jesus said, that's not how it works. You can't even put your family obligations and allegiances ahead of me. Another way of saying this is that Jesus wants us to be totally sold out to him above anything and anyone else. And regardless of what anyone tells you, that's not easy. And then Jesus made it even more clear in Luke 14. He said, if you don't hate your father and mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters in your own life, you can't be my disciple. Jesus telling us that we need to hate those who are closest to us. Well, if he did, then he would be contradicting something he already told us because we're told that we must love. So what is Jesus saying? He's telling us that in comparison to our love and loyalty to him, everything else looks like hate. We've got to be so committed to him that everything else is a distant second. again. You say what you want to, but that's tough. I love my grandkids. I love my kids. I love my mom. I love all my family. I just want to be honest with you, I love my wife more than all of them. (laughs) I love my wife. I, I feel like I, I feel like I struck the mother load of God's blessings when God blessed me with her. And and I I want to give her everything, not just that she needs, I want to give her everything she wants. I love her that much. But the Bible tells me that my love for her must look pale compared to my love for him. And that goes for all of us. And I'm here to warn you, mom and dad. We are raising a generation of children that have been led to believe that they are the most important thing in our lives. We sacrifice everything And I'm here to tell you, they're going to grow up thinking they're the most important thing. And they're going to grow up never understanding that Jesus must be the most important thing. We've got to rearrange our priorities. And then third, I've got to be willing to give my all. Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to another person, if you want to follow me, you must give up your own way. Deny yourself. Take up your cross every day. In Luke 14, Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross cannot be my disciple. Now, notice Jesus said two things. He said, first of all, we must deny ourselves. Now, this is not denying who we are. It's not denying our unique personality, the the unique bent, the way that God has wired us and created us. No, he's he's saying we must deny our self-centered life. That word deny means to disown, disregard, forsake. So what Jesus is saying is I must forsake my own self, my own interests, my own desires for him. Simply put, Jesus is saying I must say no to what I want for the sake of what he wants but then he goes further he says not only must I deny myself I must die I must take up my cross daily it's crazy how we've convoluted that in the American church I, I hear people say oh I I've got a cross to bear and they're talking about their spouse Or a difficult job. Or you can fill in the blank. and I'm just bearing my cross for Jesus. But that's not what that meant. You see, the people that heard Jesus speaking knew that to take up your cross meant you were about to be executed. You were about to be nailed to that thing. You're going to die wasn't carrying a burden around. Taking up your cross is marching to your death. And Jesus said, if I want to follow him, I must be willing to die. Die to myself. Die to my comfort. Die to my safety. I've got to give my all. So are you? There's a story about Alexander the Great, the great military leader. And he had had his armies come to this fortified city that seemed impenetrable. And outside of the walls of that city, he called for the king to come out so that Alexander could give him his demands for surrender. And the king of that city said, surrender? We'll never surrender. Our city is impenetrable. Your army will never get into our city. And Alexander the Great looked at that king and said, watch. A short distance away from the walled walled city was a sheer cliff. And Alexander told his army to line up in single file and march over the cliff. And the army began to march to the edge of the cliff. And one by one, They marched off the cliff to their death. That's how loyal, committed, devoted they were to Alexander. After several of them had plunged to their death, Alexander commanded them to stop and fall back in line. And they did and stood right beside Alexander the Great. The people on the wall of that city sat there for a few minutes horrified at what they just saw. The willingness of those soldiers at a simple command to plunge to their death for the sake of their master. And then the gates to the city opened and the citizens of that city, beginning with the king, marched out surrendering to Alexander because they knew nothing could save them from that type of loyalty. And what you need to understand is that's the kind of loyalty that Jesus deserves. That's the kind of loyalty that Jesus desires. And to be honest with you, if you're true, In your reading of scripture, that's the kind of loyalty that Jesus demands of us. So what about it? Have you counted the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus? Are you willing to make him the priority of your life, giving your all to him? Because that's what he calls for. This morning. I'm asking each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus, In just a moment as we begin to sing. I'm asking you to step out of your seat, come to the altar, kneel down and pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I'm giving my all to you. As your disciple, wherever you lead, whatever you ask. Give me the courage and the strength to walk in obedience. Then after you pray that prayer, get back up, go back to your seat. You say, why do I need to come forward? Because I think that there's power and accountability doing things before other people. So I want to ask you to make that commitment. But the reality is there are some of you here in this room today who you've never made a commitment to Christ in the first place. And you know it in your heart. I'm asking you today to swallow your pride, your fear, whatever may be keeping you from giving your all to Jesus. And in just a moment as we sing, step out of your seat, come forward and either come to me or come to Pastor Matt and say, I... I want to give Jesus my life. What do I need to do? Let us tell you. You'll discover that today is the greatest day of your life. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray that that no one in this room will, will leave without, Father, walking in obedience to what you're calling us to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stay with. Me.